Morning, everyone. Thank you, Sally, for leading us this morning. Uh, I'd like to pray, if that's okay, so please join me in praying. Heavenly Father, we come now to your breathed out word. We don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. And your word is profitable for teaching us and rebuking and correcting and for training us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Heavenly Father, the, the grass withers and the flowers fade and they fall, but your word endures forever. So help us to believe that right now as we hear your word, that you will open our eyes and that we will be able to behold the dynamic content of your word so that it may transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. Last week, we, uh, we left King Ahab sitting at home in a huff. At the end of chapter 20, he had been found out. He had been confronted and he had been challenged by God's word. But rather than submit to God's word, he stormed home to his palace in Samaria, sullen and angry. That, that's where chapter 20 finished. You see, God's word does tend to provoke all kinds of responses in people. Some of them are positive, some of them are negative, but Ahab did not react well to the word of God. And I suppose the first question I just want to ask us this morning is, how do you react to God's word in your life? How do you react? As we come into chapter 21, if you look at the first verse, there a bit of time has passed and Ahab is now at his other palace, his kind of summer or winter residence. And it's in a place called Jezreel, which is about 20 miles up the road from his other palace in Samaria. And he's wanting one of these. He's wanting a vegetable garden. See, despite their current popularity, these things have clearly been in people's wish list for many, many years. So let's stand together for the public reading of God's word, and we're going to listen to another intriguing story of scripture. So please do stand with me. And as you're standing, let me just say Ahab is the kind of key character again. Although we're going to be introduced to a brand new person, albeit temporarily, and this brand new person's name appears 19 times, more times than any other person in the whole chapter. Plus also, Elijah is back in the scene. He wasn't in, the, on, in chapter 20, but he's back in chapter 21. The great prophet of God and the complete thorn in Ahab's side. So let's read the chapter. I'm going to take time to read it. It's not on the screen, so if you can follow it, brilliant. Otherwise, just listen up to this story. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, who was king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it's close to my palace. In exchange, 
I'll give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever your vineyard's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I, no, I'll not do a voice. Because, <laughs> I'm trying to get you with me. Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up, cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters and on it goes. And I want to pick up again at verse 17. And we will tell a story later. Verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say this to him. This is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and therefore I'm going to bring disaster on you. Down to verse 24, dogs will eat those who belong to Ahab who die in the city and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. Verse 27, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his sons. Grab a seat. So Naboth, whose name appears 19 times, he owns a vineyard that is very closely situated to Ahab's summer or winter residence. And Ahab decides, you know, I want that. And I want that, and I'm going to convert it into a vegetable garden, which is a bit weird when you think of it. Like, who would want to swap a vineyard for a vegetable patch? Okay? But whatever way you look at this and whatever you think about this, it's a trivial desire. It really is a trivial desire selfish desire and request. I mean, Ahab is the king of Israel. He could have had access to as many vegetables as he wanted. Anyway, at least, at least he doesn't just take Naboth's vineyard, which he could have done. He says to him, listen, I will buy it for the going rate. In fact, I'll pay you a really good price for it. Or alternatively, I'll exchange you it for a better vineyard somewhere else for you. But Naboth says no to either option. And here's how he replies. Verse three, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. You see, 
This vineyard, and this is so important and it's so easy to miss this, and if we miss this, we miss everything about this story essentially. But this vineyard was land that belonged to God that had been given by God to Naboth's fathers as an inheritance. And according to the law of God, according to the word of God, you then could not sell it. You weren't allowed to do that. Let me just read you one line from Leviticus 25. This is the law of the Lord concerning land. The land must not be sold permanently. Why, says God? Because the land that I'm going to give you is mine to give you. And then in Numbers 36, he says, God says, no inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. So God owned the land, God had gifted the land and entrusted it to Naboth's ancestors and his descendants. And therefore, according to God's word, they could not sell it on. Here's the point. Although we do not know much about Naboth, I mean, he's one of these characters who just walks onto the stage in the drama. We don't know much about his background. We don't know very much about him at all. But what we do know immediately is here is someone who's got a high regard for God's word. Here is someone who's got a high regard for God's word, God's will, and God's law, which immediately sets him at complete odds with and in sharp contrast to Ahab. Naboth is someone who took God's word to heart and allowed it to influence the decisions that he made. So how does Ahab react to Naboth? Verse four, Ahab went home sullen and angry and he lies on his bed and he's sulking and he won't eat and the toys are out of the pram and Ahab isn't coming down for dinner. And it just seems to be his default reaction whenever he doesn't get his own way. Whenever God's word tracks this man down, whenever God's word challenges this man's behavior, whenever God's will conflicts with his will, He becomes sullen and angry. You see, how we react to God's word and God's will says a lot about us. Spoke volumes about Ahab. And so enter Jezebel. And she wants to know why her husband's not eating. And so the king explains the reason, but I want you to look at verse six because Ahab doesn't quite tell the truth. He doesn't quite tell it as it is. He puts a bit of a spin on the conversation that he had with Naboth. For a start, this time, the king mentions nothing about a vegetable patch. Maybe he was just too embarrassed to say that's why he wanted Naboth's vineyard, but he doesn't say anything about that to his wife. But more strikingly, He tells Jezebel that Naboth flatly refused to comply with the king's wishes. Look at the end of verse 6, because here was Naboth's response according to Ahab. It was just, I will not give you my vineyard. No, that was not Naboth's response, Ahab. Naboth's response to you referred to the Lord. That was why he didn't give you it. Plus, Naboth said nothing about it being his vineyard. He said it was an inheritance of his ancestors. 
You see, Ahab manipulates what somebody else has said to justify his behavior and to get people on his side against another person. And let's be honest, that often happens whenever we don't get our own way, doesn't it? I mean, our version of events is exactly that. It's our version. And we tell it to suit ourselves to make another person look unreasonable and for us to look better because we want people to see things our way. We want people to support us. And so Ahab tells Jezebel a version of what happened between him and Naboth because the king wants the queen on his side. And so Ahab's pity parties in full swing. Well, Jezebel isn't impressed at Ahab. So here's what she says. Is this how you act as king? Get up, cheer up, I get you the vineyard. Now, as we all know, Jezebel's a force to be reckoned with. And so effectively, she says this, man up or king up, pull yourself together, get some food down your neck, and I get you that vineyard. I mean, she is quite a woman, quite a wife. I was going to say something about that, but I've decided not to. <laughs> Jezebel determines that she's going to take matters into her own hands. And basically, and I didn't really read this bit, but basically what Jezebel does is she comes up with a diabolical plot to kill Naboth. And so she arranges for this assembly of the people to gather. And she makes it clear in her instructions regarding this assembly, although, by the way, whenever she's writing the letters about this assembly, she writes them under the name of, Nab uh, under the name of Ahab, just to give it a bit of authority. And so she writes to the elders of Israel and says, listen, I want you to assemble all the people, and I want you to place Naboth in a really prominent position, and I want you to place him opposite two scoundrels, two worthless men, Two low lives. Now, that's just what Scripture says they are. I want you to position Naboth in a prominent position opposite these two guys. And at a given moment in time in the proceedings of this assembly, they are to bring a false charge against Naboth, and they are to say that he has cursed God and the king, and as a result of him cursing God and the king, he is to be publicly executed. just as a kind of slight aside, although it's worth mentioning. About 850 years after this incident, two other false witnesses would take part in a sham trial that will lead to the execution of another innocent man called Jesus. It's just really interesting how scripture hangs together and history keeps repeating itself. You can read about that in Matthew 26. 57 to 68, two false witnesses, sham trial, false charges, innocent man dies. So let's go back to Jezreel, because the plan works like a dream. It goes like clockwork, and Naboth is brutally stoned to death. And in fact, it turns out, and we don't know this until we get to 2 Kings chapter 9, but on that day when Naboth is stoned to death, his two sons are murdered alongside him. So word filters back to Jezebel. Jezebel, mission accomplished. By the way, it's really interesting in Scripture how word filters back to Jezebel, even though the letters that came all about this assembly came from Ahab. Just an aside. 
But word gets back to Jezebel, mission accomplished. And so Jezebel goes in to her husband, who's probably still up in bed, facing the wall, sullen and angry and refusing to eat. And word comes to him that, listen, you can go and take Naboth's vineyard. Do you know why? He's dead. And she doesn't offer any explanation as to how Naboth died. But maybe even more interestingly, Ahab doesn't ask, how did Naboth die? Doesn't care. And so as soon as he hears the news, he goes to take possession of Naboth's vineyard to convert it into a vegetable patch. So all's well that ends well, except, except this, except for this, the inescapable word of God tracks Ahab down. It always does. It always will. Maybe not immediately as it did in the case of Ahab, but you can be sure that God's word will eventually track every single one of us down. Why? Because the grass withers, flowers fade and fall, but the word of God endures forever. And so Jezebel might have thought that she has got away with murder, but she didn't. And no one ever will. I mean, they may do in the short term, but ultimate justice will always and will one day be done. None of us, nobody will escape God's word. And so re-enter Elijah, God's spokesperson of his word. And so we read, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And what he is given to say to Ahab comprises of two things, a question and an announcement. Look at verse 19. This is what the Lord says. So these aren't Elijah's words. He is simply the conduit. But these are serious words. You can't avoid this, Ahab. Here's the question I have for you. Here's the question God has for you. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? And here's the announcement. See, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood after he was stoned to death, dogs are going to lick up your blood, Ahab, in that place. Well, the answer to the question was yes. Yes. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Yes. And although Ahab didn't throw a single stone, he was complicit in Naboth's murder. And Ahab knew that, which is why when you read the chapter, there is no sign of Ahab protesting his innocence. He knows he's guilty. And the announcement confirms, listen, Ahab, because you're guilty, there are consequences to face. Judgment is inevitable. You see, as we move on in this story, and I know that these are familiar words, and this is a familiar idea, but as Numbers 32 makes clear, we can all be sure our sin is going to find us out. I mean, there is no hiding place apart from God. But apart from God, there is no hiding place. 
And if we refuse to turn to God in confession and repentance, you can be certain that one day we will face dire consequences. I know that's not popular teaching. And Ahab realizes that he's been found out. And then he listens as Elijah, who, by the way, he now describes as my enemy. If you've been following this series, you will remember the last time Ahab called Elijah a name, it was, oh, it's you, troubler of Israel. Now, it's my enemy. And Ahab listens as Elijah, in shocking and sobering detail, spells out the consequences of his sin. You see, because sin does matter. And the moment we think sin doesn't matter, or the minute we become indifferent or blasé or casual about it is the moment we need to keep going back and reading stories like 1 Kings 21 time and time and time again. And so here's what Elijah says. And these are God's words. And I know these don't sit well with us. But God says, I'm going to bring disaster on you, Ahab. I'm going to wipe out your descendants. I'm going to make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, because you, Ahab, have aroused my anger. You have caused Israel to sing, to sin, not sing, sin. And also concerning Jezebel, here's what I'm going to say about her. Dogs are going to devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And then, says God, dogs are going to eat. We react to this, don't we? Dogs are going to eat all those who belong to you, Ahab, who die in the city. And all those who belong to you who die in the country, birds are going to eat them. And that disturbs us. And it sounds harsh, and it sounds incredibly judgmental. But look at verses 25 and 26, which I didn't read, but they're in brackets. If you have a Bible in front of you, you'll notice these words are in brackets, because here's what it says, and I'll put them in brackets on the screen. Because it's as if the narrator needs to remind us just how messed up Ahab and Jezebel are. And so the narrator of 1 Kings 21 tells us, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by his wife Jezebel. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. You see, Ahab and Jezebel consistently ignored God and God's word. They did their own thing, and therefore they faced inevitable judgment and ultimate justice. They just could not keep avoiding it, and none of us will. And so it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face judgment. And if we insist on doing our own thing, and we insist on pursuing our own gods and our own idols, if we insist on continuing on our sin, then there will be those far-reaching consequences, and our future will be every bit as bleak. But the story isn't over. Because what happens next is genuinely astonishing. 
Because here is what the word of the Lord does to the most evil king who ever lived in all of Israel. Here's what the word of God did to him. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and he went around meekly. Here is a king who's brought to his knees. He's humbled according to the verse after that. The word of the Lord has had a major impact on this bitter and twisted individual. And because Ahab humbled himself, God in his immense mercy and grace postpones punishment. Please stay with me here. Because of the impact of the word of God on the most evil king who ever lived, and because of its impact in humbling him, God postpones punishment. Now, there is no evidence in Scripture that Ahab ever repented or ever sought forgiveness. And in two weeks, we'll see that it's not long until he's back to his old ways. But because he chose to humble himself at this moment, because he took God's word seriously at this time, God postponed punishment. He didn't cancel it, but he delayed it. Why? Why? Why does God delay wiping us out? Because he doesn't want any of us to perish. God does not want you and I to face the full consequences of our sin. And so God is patient. Patient. And he gives us time. And he gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Even he gives it to the wickedest of people. But you know something? If they never completely humble themselves and repent, if they don't grasp the opportunities to obey God, then it is only a matter of time. And so the word of God kept coming to Ahab. And if you've been following this series and if you were here last week, you will know that the word of the Lord and the Lord says keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming to this king. And although it finally impacted him to some extent, he didn't totally submit to it. Although it eventually shook him temporarily, he never completely surrendered to it. And as the word of God continues to speak to us, and convict us, and rebuke us, and correct us, and challenge us, and train us. The question always, always is, are we listening and doing what it says? Are we humbling ourselves? Are we surrendering? Are we submitting? Are we repenting? Are we allowing God's word to equip us day in and day out for every good work? So what's the takeaway this morning? The takeaway is simply God's word. Take it with you this week. Listen to it. 
Turn towards it. Meditate on it. Choose to obey it. Seek to share it. And may God's word consistently change our hearts and continually shape our lives. For his name's sake. Amen.